Well, today marks the start of a new teaching series here at Canyon Ridge entitled Hopeful. And so for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at just some of what God's Word has to say about this topic called hope, about being filled with hope. You know, so often it seems that we're satisfied with just enough hope to get by. You know, I mean, you are considered an optimist if you look around everywhere and what you see is glasses that are half full. But I'm challenged by a different image. There's a different image in Scripture where Paul writes this prayer in the book of Romans. Uh, It's chapter 15, verse 13, if you want to follow along. We'll have it on the screen, too. He writes this prayer with a different image, though. Not just half full, but he says this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The image there is of a hope that is so full that it overflows. The idea that we can have more than just enough hope, just enough peace, just enough joy to get by. So the Word of God says, and so we'll be looking into this deeper over the next four weeks and this month. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not always feeling like I'm there. Or maybe... More accurately, I'm not there yet. I still, I still feel like I couldn't possibly get enough hope, that I could use some more. I would still love to see that this prayer would be answered in my life. So that's easy to say, right? It's easy to say, I would love my life to be filled with hope. In fact, I would love each of your lives to be filled with hope. And while we're at it, let's just go for it. I would like everyone in this world's lives to be filled with hope. Because hope is wonderful. Loosely defined, hope is the belief or the feeling or the expectation that you are headed towards a positive future. Who doesn't want that? I mean, it may even be the primary reason that you showed up here to church this morning. You heard or you read that we're talking about hope and you decided, I want to hear about that. Give me some more of that. Well, in preparing to kick off this sermon series, I was looking forward to it as well. I mean, the last couple of sermons that I preached here at Canyon Ridge have been on some pretty difficult, tough subjects. So I was actually looking forward to talking about this subject of hope, right? Something a bit more uplifting. What could be more uplifting than that? But as I started looking into things... I realized that at least to start off, we'd have to still look at some of those darker areas, some of those more difficult areas of life again. Because as I was looking into this, the subject of hope, I found that hope is a phenomenon that is surrounded by darkness. Hope itself is that ray of light streaming through the darkness, but nonetheless, it seemed like many people who had anything to say on the subject of hope also had something to say about difficulty, about despair, about hopelessness. If you search for books on hope on Amazon.com, there are over 52,000 results. I've read all of them in preparation this week. I just, no. <laughs> but among those bestsellers, that was a joke. Um, among those bestsellers are the stories of people who have lived through terrible tragedies. Families and individuals wrestling with terminal diseases. And then, of course, there are some Christian books that try to tackle this subject from a biblical perspective. But even one of these biblical perspective books had the subtitle, A Pathway Through Suffering to the Heart of God. 
When considering what kind of imagery we would use, you know, as we're thinking, how do we picture hope for this series? I searched through hundreds of other artists' conceptions of what hope looks like. Because, you know, unlike peace and love, there's not a universal symbol that we have. that This is what hope looks like. But again, I found that hope was pictured as something meager, something in the minority, something surrounded by its opponents. A black and white image with one item in sheer bright color. A sunbeam breaking through dark clouds, a small green plant that has just sprouted from the ground. And throughout looking at these books and these images and reflecting on them, it started to sink in how we see hope. Hope is the rare thing. Hope is the uncommon thing. It's it's the precious thing. The thing is short supply in a world where we have plenty of the opposites. Hope comes in glimpses, not tidal waves. We're full of meaninglessness. We've got enough tragedy. We've got enough fear. We've got enough despair. Too much darkness. Not enough light. And really, I don't think this is something I need to convince you of either. I mean, it's more of just a matter of articulating it up front here in our conversation about hope. Because you all came into this building straight out of the real world, right? You're fully aware that it's full of struggles and disappointments, tragedies and brokenness, recessions and war. Every year at the end of the year, they produce those articles and those TV shows about the top news stories for the year. The most important events that went on in the past year, they don't tend to be the kinds of things that make me excited for the future. I looked at Time Magazine's top 10 world news stories this year, and only two out of 10 had any sort of happy element to them at the end of those stories. We all live there every day. What we'd like to see is something different, something better. We'd like to have hope. In fact, maybe we even need to have hope. We need to know that it's all worth it somehow, or at least that things won't always be this way. We need to know that there is a future ahead of us that we'd actually like to be a part of. And so we look for it. Every one of us does. We search for hope, some way to believe that the future holds something good. But perhaps to say that we search for it is actually too much. That's something more intentional than we actually do sometimes. Because that seems to imply that we put some sort of hard work into looking for trustworthy sources of hope that can deliver on what they promise. But that isn't always the case. You see, I think we have this hope thing partially figured out. But only partially, and that makes us dangerous. What we figured out about hope is this. Hope is good. And we need it. That much I'm pretty sure we have down, because we can feel that within the core of our souls. Without hope, it feels like we're dying. With hope, we know we can live. Hope is good, and we need it. The Bible affirms this, too. It talks about hope quite a lot, mentioning it some 180 times, spread across both the Old and the New Testaments through the whole book. Hope is listed as one of the three most important virtues, right between faith and love. And interestingly enough, if you, if you really look into it, hope plays into both faith and love. The Bible says that faith is the substance of what we hope for. And it says that love always hopes. 
So we got to have hope. It's good. We need it. In fact, I might as go so far to say that at a very basic level, having hope is more important to us than almost any other factor in life. As an unknown author once wrote, probably wasn't unknown at the time he wrote it, but he is now. This author wrote, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. We know that hope is good. We know that we need it. We know it's vital to our life. And if we pay attention, which we don't always, but if we do, we'd also be able to admit what happens without it. When you remove hope, it's almost like you remove any chance of good happening at all. I mean, you'd like to think that if good was going to happen, then it'll happen regardless of whether or not we're expecting to. But, and in some cases it does. I mean, you occasionally hear stories about, you know, people that have lost all hope and then something good happens. And it surprises them. So it can happen, but most often when hope is gone, so is any forward progress toward the future, toward a better future. Hope causes people to persevere. It entices them forward, even through suffering, even through darkness. And that's what it will often take to see a better future. It takes putting one foot in front of the other with steps of faith. Faith that turns the hope into substance. But with no hope at the end, we will stop. We will stop moving forward. Now, I've seen this firsthand in my own life. And so I have kind of a funny example to share with you. Last year in 2010, I decided that I was going to do something a little bit strange. I said my New Year's resolutions were going to be a little bit more reliable than the average. And so I made all of my resolutions quantifiable. And I began to track them on a spreadsheet. So if you know me, you're like, I'm not surprised you do something like this. But so I didn't just say my resolution this year is I'm going to start running more often. I said this year I'll run at least 120 miles somewhere over the course of the year. And I did that in several different categories. I set like 16 different New Year's resolutions, and I was going to track every one of them. Well, of course, in several of those categories, over the year, I began to fall behind, right? That's what everybody does. So I'd like to tell myself, so I don't feel guilty. Um, And so there came a time in about early November when I looked at my spreadsheet, and I began to calculate and find out that there were several goals that it really didn't look like I was going to make it to. I started calculating them. I wanted to run 120 miles in 12 months. Well, that's not too difficult to imagine. It's 10 miles a month. It's not even a mile a day. No problem, right? But I get 10 months into the year, and I look at it, and I say, I've done less than half of that in the first 10 months. There's no way I can do more than half of it in the remaining two months. And in effect, I lost hope that that goal could ever be accomplished this year. And so what I found for any goal that I determined I was too far behind to meet, it's an interesting thing. I didn't do anything more in any of those goals. And there were a number of them, six, seven, eight goals that I was like, I'm behind on these too far to make up. And I did not do a thing for those goals for the rest of the year. I didn't keep going at all. I didn't just say, well, let's just see how far I can make it anyway. You know, let's just push through to the end. I didn't do that. I did nothing. Although I still would have told you that these goals were important to me. The fact of the matter was exactly this. When my hope disappeared, 
I completely stopped trying, even though trying would have still been good for me. I would have still benefited from continuing in every single one of those goals, even though they were failed ultimately. I should have kept going, but because my hope vanished, I couldn't or I wouldn't make myself continue. So in a sense, hope's importance cannot be overemphasized, but in another sense, we all get it. We know we need hope. We want hope. It feels great. If we think about it hard enough, we could also tell us, yeah, it would be dire impact if we ever lost hope. All of this stuff, this is the part I think most about, of all of this stuff, this is the part I think almost all humanity is already somewhat well acquainted with. We already know this stuff. But then comes the problem. Because hope is so good, and because everyone knows that, there are one billion ways out there people are telling us that we can find it. Hope is offered to us everywhere. Every advertisement, every product, every business is trying to get us to find some hope in them. They will do something to give us a better future. They'll give us straighter teeth, more friends, less chores, less stress, greater satisfaction out of life. They all claim they will. And hey, maybe even a bunch of them are sincere. (laughs) Maybe they actually really care about improving your life. I'm not saying they don't, but what I am saying is this, that hope is a product that everyone is offering. Not just businesses and advertisers either, but people as well in the formation of relationships. Relationships are formed based on the hope that they will be good for us. Hope is offered everywhere. And because we love it so much, because we realize it's vital to our lives, because we know we're lost without it, we will bite. We'll take up people on an offer to a better future, often more quickly and more simplistically than we should. Everyone's offering what we want and need, right? How can we say no to a better future? And this is why I said earlier, perhaps it would be a bit much to say that we actually search for hope. We don't need to do a lot of looking. It's thrust in our faces every day from every angle. But unless we actually do look deeper, we'll buy off on a lot of that cheap imitation hope that really promises nothing more than emptiness. The author of Ecclesiastes, it's a book in the Bible, it's an amazing book. Uh, Many people think the author of this book was King Solomon. There's some debate about that. But the author of this book, whomever he was, was a person of great wisdom and a person who had also pursued and attained significant wealth and power. And it is ironic that this wise man made a lot of foolish choices. But this person spent a whole lifetime trying to figure this hope equation out. And so I'd like for us to look at it what he had to say about this. Someone who had this wisdom, who had these opportunities, who had the wealth and the power. Let's look just for a moment what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He said this, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. 
In a way, in this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like a chasing of the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, if you haven't read Ecclesiastes, it's one of the most interesting books in the Bible. Almost the whole thing comes at you from this pessimistic tone of how meaningless Many of the pursuits of humanity are. We read some of that just a few moments ago, but there's more. I mean, he goes on for the whole book. He even talks about not just the pursuit of pleasure, but he talks about more noble things like hard work and like wisdom. These two, he says, are meaningless. That they by themselves don't count for much. They don't really deliver on the hope that they promise. Even though they are well-respected and honorable pursuits. In most people's minds. At the end of it all, he finds only two things worth his hope. Serving the Lord and enjoying the life that God has put you in right now. It's a fascinating read. But it's not one I'd recommend if you're already kind of depressed. Read some other books first. But anyway, I think there's something in this that we should take from this. I mean, this is the biblical perspective here. The biblical perspective is that not all hopes are created equal. In fact, let's just say it. Most of the things we hope for are meaningless. Most of the things we hope in are meaningless. What did he say again? He said that there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. <sighs> the world is filled with hopes that cannot deliver on what they promise. Take it from the words of Scripture. Don't waste your life trying to figure that out. Someone else has already done that for you. Someone else has made that mistake. Most hope that is offered to us is empty. It may even be deceptive and dangerous. The recipe for a worse future disguised as a better one. And so it matters greatly what we hope in, what we choose to hope in. We talked earlier about how hope is a belief or an expectation that you're headed towards a positive future. Well, hope is also a choice. That belief or that expectation has a foundation in something. There's a reason someone believes that a good future is ahead. Hope happens when we choose to trust in something that indicates that good will follow. We actually choose in our minds an object of our hope. And we say to ourselves, because of this, I can believe that my future is bright. Now, 
This may seem like pretty elementary stuff to you because, hey, we all do this kind of stuff every day. Every day we hope in things. It's not like we haven't experienced how this works time and time again. But I want to narrow in on this choice factor, though, anyway, because when we make the same choices over and over and over and over again, we can forget that we have a choice. Hope is either there or it's not. But hope is a choice to believe in something or someone. Hope to be hope has a source. There is a reason why a positive future is in view. Hope without reason is not hope. It is just wishful thinking. If there is no reason in the world why something would be good for you, and you believe it will anyway, that's not hope. That's wishful thinking. And wishful thinking is not a virtue. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, pursue wishful thinking. But hope is a choice to trust in something or someone. A source that you expect to deliver something of a good future to you. The reason I emphasize this is I think that we hope in a lot of sources that have little to no credibility. We don't really look at our choices. If we sat down and analyzed things and said, is this really worthy of hoping in? We might change our minds. We look for hope and pleasure or financial gain. We look for power and respect. And we do that all the time. But really now, I mean, let's look at the track record here. Since at least biblical times, humanity has known that these things cannot provide real lasting hope, real lasting good. We just read that in Ecclesiastes, written by someone who plumbed the depths of that. Everything that these so-called hopes could offer. But that's an easy target. The more noble ones of us will find other things to hope in. Loftier objects of our hope. We'll, we'll hope in truly valuable things like an idea. My hope is in an idea. Or my hope is in other people. But these two will let us down. Those ideas usually come from other people, by the way. And they are implemented by other people. So it's important to know what you're getting into. The Bible has a comment about trusting in other people. It says this. Hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. And there's another unstable place that many, many people put their hope into that needs to be mentioned. Maybe we've looked around and we're smarter than most, right? We know pleasure and wealth aren't the answer. We even know that the best, most wonderful people we know can somehow transform into complete strangers overnight. So we've analyzed those things and we've determined not to set our hopes in them. So we put our hopes in the one person we can trust. Ourselves. You read my sermon? <laughs> we put it in ourselves. Now, I may steer someone else wrong, but I will never do that to myself. I just love myself too much. No one's going to watch out for my future like I will. And so I will trust in no one but me. I will trust no one but me with my future. Well, okay, fine. Congratulations, you've avoided a lot of other bad hopes. But in doing so, you may be just as dangerous as the things you rejected. Quite possibly more. The Bible doesn't waffle on the subject matter too much. It says that you and I, we're not to be trusted either. It tells us that our hearts are deceitful. It tells us we can lie to ourselves and believe it. It tells us we don't know what's good. 
There's a verse in Proverbs that's repeated twice in that book. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 both say the same thing. It says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. (laughs) So if I do what seems right to me, I might be on that path. Biblically speaking, there is only one place to put our hope. And that is in God himself and his word which comes from him. And this point could not be clearer if you actually look at the witness from the Bible. I mean, I mentioned earlier, the Bible mentions the word hope 180 sometimes, and it's, I did read through every one of those in preparation for the sermon. And the message is consistency. I can tell you this message. Our hope is to be in God. No one else. Nothing else. These words appear over and over in the Bible, especially in the Psalms. The Psalms say, my hope is in you, Lord. My hope is only in you, Lord. In you alone will I trust. Those words are over and over and over again. The passage we read at the beginning of today's message refers to God as the source of hope. He is the source of hope. And if you go straight to the Greek, really it kind of translates more to, he is the God of hope. Hope is his. It belongs to him. The book of Colossians describes Christ in us as the hope of glory. That Christ is the hope. Now the Bible gives warnings and warnings and examples of how futile it is to hope in lesser sources. But it gives promises associated with hoping in the Lord. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who hope in Him, to the one who seeks Him. Proverbs says, There's surely a hope for those who fear the Lord. Isaiah says, To those who hope in the Lord, He will renew their strength. Jeremiah tells us that God plans to prosper us. He plans to give us a hope and a future. God is the only source of hope that enjoys such an affirmation in the Bible. Jesus even criticizes the Pharisees for putting their hope in Moses. And Moses was a pretty great guy. But if their hope was in Moses, he told them it was in the wrong place. Okay then. Great. Well, this simplifies things incredibly. One source for hope, it's God. Nothing else. Got it. And in a sense, that is the message today. Like so many other things, though, it's easier said than done. Uh, One thing I think it's really important for us to realize is how this hope reaches us. Because if all you get from this message is that God is your source for hope, you may just be inclined to understand that the wrong way. And here's the wrong way. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Don't picture hope like a wrapped up package from God. If Jesus were here holding a, a big box wrapped up in gold wrapping paper with a bow on the top, and he said, I'm offering you hope. Don't picture it that way. I think of a lot of gifts that way. But that is not how God offers us hope. Because in this traditional gift box sort of image, in this traditional gift box sort of image, we have the ability to receive that gift, unwrap it, do whatever we want with it. It becomes ours. The gift is separate from the giver. And to be honest, that is what a whole lot of people want from their church. If they could just go to church and it would be like that. They want to come to church and experience the blessings of God. Get those blessings, take them home with them, and you know, come back when they start to run out. 
if you came today expecting to get some hope and take it back home with you, you'll find that it's not quite that simple. Our gift is not separate from our giver. When God offers us hope, the gift is inextricably tied up with who he is. The Bible describes our hope as being in Christ and about Christ being in us. You want to believe that your future holds something good, that your life can find true meaning? You want to have that wonderful assurance that things are going to be okay, that you'll make it through what you're going through to the other side? That's not something God is just going to hand out like a bunch of free samples at Costco. That's not the message we preach here. Those are the kinds of things that you will only find in Him. They're resident in Him. You'll find them by placing your life in His hands. Trusting Him with who you are. Letting Him lead while we follow. That is how you'll find hope. You know, it's amazing how many times we want something different from what God will offer us, from what God wants. We will plead, we'll beg, we'll even demand sometimes that He show us something better than what we're going through. God, you said you'd give me hope. Show me this. And all the while, we refuse to let him lead. It's like praying, God, give me what I want. Give me what I need. But whatever you do, don't try to lead me to it. I'm not willing to follow. The Bible says we can trust him. That he will lead us to good places. That he can even fill us to overflowing with hope. But in order to receive that gift, one of the most wonderful gifts we could ever imagine, we need to receive the giver himself. So, where do you put your hope? Yeah, by this point in the message, we all know there's a right answer to that question. So I don't ask the question to see if you know the right answer. A harder thing to do is to look at our lives and see what they say. It'd be an awful shame to listen to this message, feel like God was really speaking to you, that you learned something, and then not know what to do about it. Hope can seem like a pretty nebulous topic. And like, okay, uh, after today, I'm going to try to think differently about how I hope about things. But it's a lot more practical than that. Let's face it. Whatever we hope in, we invest in. Whatever we hope in, we invest in. If we think it leads to a good future, we're willing to take action on it. We put our money there. We'll put our time there. We'll spend our energy there. It's what we talk about. It's what we do to drive our plans. You know, the plans that we make are driven by this. Hope moves us forward, remember? Well, I think God would challenge us this week to ask ourselves the question, what are we actually moving toward? Where are we putting our limited resources, our time, our money, our effort? And perhaps just as important, where aren't we putting our resources? What is driving us? Follow the things you invest in, and you'll learn something about where you're putting your hope. Another way to locate where we are putting our hope is to answer the simple question, who are we following? Remember that hope is a choice to trust someone or something in our pursuit of a positive future. And I guarantee you, every one of us has put someone as their chief authority in their lives. Every one of us does that. 
So who are you trusting? Who are you following? There's no shortage of people who will offer you hope. But there is only one who can deliver it with certainty.